Welcome to The Founders. This is the podcast where we dig into the startup stories of some of the most exciting and innovative businesses by speaking to the founders themselves. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And in this episode, we're speaking to the co-founder and president of Zoe, George Hadji Giorgio. One of Wired's and Forbes' hottest startups, Zoe is on a mission to improve gut health through their personalized advice. Uh, they do this by analyzing your gut microbes all through an at-home test kit and the app that they've built. Uh, so, Alex, what were you keen to find out about George? Well, he founded three businesses before Zoe, including a business that was acquired by TripAdvisor, but there was a lot of rejection and, and failure that he needed to to put up with throughout his career. It was interesting to hear about how he kept such a positive and motivated outlook throughout that journey. Uh, I did actually quite enjoy that bit, um, but I think for me, I really enjoy hearing a founder's story. When they have a, a level of authenticity about why they're doing what they're doing, um, it came from a personal place for George, and that's a lot of where his drive comes from to be able to find uh, solutions for people. Um, another one was actually quite an interesting one, which was the wait list that they've got. So Zoe actually had a 200,000 plus person wait list in the UK. Um, they've since moved to a pre-order model, but driving that much interest in one specific thing is a hell of a feat to accomplish. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. He was really excited to pass on his learnings and advice to other entrepreneurs and other business owners. And he really liked to use analogies to explain them, which I think was really useful. So uh, one of them was what entrepreneurs can learn from elite performance athletes. And he also spoke a lot about how the passion behind Zoe is a main driver for its success. And they, they really want to change how, how people live their lives. So this is the co-founder and president of Zoe, George Hadji Giorgio. Enjoy. George, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Very glad to be here, Joe and Alex. So you are the co-founder and president of Zoe, but before we get into talking about Zoe, do you want to tell us about what has led you here? For example, you had an initial career that in strategy and development, including four years at Yahoo. Do you want to talk about how your time at Yahoo and what you learned there has perhaps led to or contributed to where you are today? For sure. And maybe let me start a little bit earlier because I left, uh, I was born in Greece, uh, which is a small country, and at the age of 17, I left to go and find my luck in the US. And uh, I applied to get to a good university, and I got rejected 13 times, 13 times. And I'm sharing the story because uh, that was probably what shaped me to become a founder in the end, because 13 times people told me no, and as I like to say, I heard not yet, with a smile in my face and I tried for something better. In the end, I got to a better university and then an even better one for uh, my master's. But at the end of the day, these 13 rejections shaped my uh, resilience, shaped my uh, drive to try and do something better and led me to build the master's to become an entrepreneur. And then, and then what I tried to do is I tried my luck in strategy consulting in order to understand how businesses work. I was very curious about that. And at the same time, I discovered I was terrible in consulting because I didn't <laughs> want to advise people. I wanted to take the decisions and act. And that's exactly, that's exactly what you don't do in consulting. And then I went to Yahoo because I thought, hey, this is a company that's building the future of the internet. Why don't I go there and try to do some things. And I tried my luck there. I did two stints at Yahoo. One was in corporate development, which does strategy and mergers. And then I had a more operational role, 
what I was responsible for a number of the different consumer products at Yahoo. Now, that experience was a very formative experience for me as well, mainly about the people that I met. I met at Yahoo some of the most amazing people who, if you look them up today, they run some of the best and biggest companies in the world. Right? They've run LinkedIn, they've run Ripple, they've run many other companies around the world. And, and at the same time, the one thing I learned at Yahoo, and I think it was a failure at Yahoo, was that here was a company that had all these amazing people, and yet because of two things. Number one, it didn't have a clarity of purpose. And number two, it didn't have the right setup around that clarity of purpose to be able to get these people to work in a way that can create something amazing. It ended end up being a company that in the end, it didn't succeed. So my biggest learning from Yahoo was around the things that I shouldn't be doing, and mainly around avoiding having a clarity of purpose, which is very, very important. And secondly, thinking very deeply around not only how you hire the best people, which Yahoo was doing in a great way, but as importantly, around a clarity of purpose and direction, organizing the company and setting up these great people to be able to operate in a highly aligned but loosely coupled way and execute with speed and impact. And that's the biggest learning I had at Yahoo. And the reason why I, in the end, accepted the fact that I didn't have the impact I wanted to have, and that led me to start my own companies. So that was a very good like uh, whistle-stop tour of, your, of, where, of how you've gotten to where you are today. Initially, you've come over from Greece, and I wanted to ask, what part of not being native to the US do you think contributed to your tenacity when it came to dealing with rejection and, and your desire to make it? And I ask that question because there seems to be a lot of successful people that have moved over to the US or, or to the UK or wherever that almost have more drive because they don't necessarily feel the same level of entitlement as you might if you were born in the country that you're trying to work in. So could I ask a little bit about that? Did you feel like you had more drive as a result of having to move to US, the US? I think so. In the end, when I tried to deeply think about the why, what led me to have that drive and that tenacity and resilience, the best answer I gave to myself was that in a country like Greece, the culture, and the culture is your school, is the society, maybe your parents, maybe the friend of your parents, but the wider culture is more focused around celebrating you know, the best examples of what's happening internationally, not in the country, and highlighting why you cannot do this rather than why you can do this and better. So in the end, I was, I was told that, that was the, not by anybody in particular, but by the whole culture about the things that I cannot do and how special these other people internationally, in Britain, in America, everywhere are, and, and the fact that, all right, you know, this for them, you cannot do as well. And I think that's one part. And the other part, of course, comes with every individual, their shaping. My grandfather was an entrepreneur, both actually my grandfathers. And for me, uh, success, which is something that over the years I've internalized more and more, is about doing the best you can for yourself. Success is being the best version of yourself. It's about exceeding the expectations that you have of yourself. And I think the combination of these very low expectations, in fact, people telling me that I cannot do things, 
and some of my, I guess, genetic or, or family influences around entrepreneurship led me to say, hey, I can do better. I can be a better version of myself. I can exceed my own expectations and my surroundings expectations. And that led me to be more hungry and, and be driven to, to do better. And it is very clear that entrepreneurship is in, in your blood for sure, because you founded three businesses before. So you were the CEO for House Trip, which was acquired by TripAdvisor in 2016 and a couple of other businesses. So what is it that outside of your grandparents being entrepreneurs, what else was it that drove you to wanting to be a founder and, and the desire to work for yourself? Fantastic question, because my journey to entrepreneurship is actually a little bit more complex. And I'll say that my first startup was at high school because I founded a, a festival and I raised a lot of money from sponsors and then uh, brought some of the best musicians um, to my school, to this festival, to raise money in order to educate uh, the world about Greece and particularly about certain regions in northern Greece. In the end, we organized this amazing festival and we sent a lot of uh, books to many different universities around the world. It was an organization of about two to 300 people worked on that, on that event. So that was my first startup in reality. Now, part of my journey starts from an influence that my parents had on me over my upbringing, which was to make me a little bit risk averse because they were more risk averse than my grandparents. And, and that led me to go to more safe options. That led me to go into strategy consulting. That led me to go to Yahoo. So for me, it was a process of liberation from that influence of risk aversion and a process of self-discovery that led me at some point to say, hey, you know what? This is who I really am. Who I really am is this person who wants to do things from scratch, who wants to create the future, who wants to solve problems that he falls in love with. And I think that's a very interesting insight I had back then. Because one of the things that schools, even great companies like in strategy consulting teach you is about problem solving. Problem solving though is all about the solutions, is about the ideas. So what happens is the society at large falls in love with the solutions and the ideas, not the problems. And my biggest learning as part of this journey is that the best thing you can do, and in fact, in my opinion, it should be mandatory teaching at high school, at middle school, even even lower school, is to fall in love with the problem. It's not to fall in love with the solution, but to fall in love with the problem. And that's what led me to start my own companies after I left Yahoo. So how do you go from effectively what is a, a tech company and uh, that, is, that is delving into search, but also multiple other platforms, how do you go from there to gaining an interest in gut health? What, what was the connection between the two or were they completely disconnected and you just got into it in your, on your own time? So between Yahoo and starting Zoe, I built a couple of other companies that became quite big. One was sold very successfully, the other one less so. And I took a sabbatical for a year. And during that sabbatical, you know, as one does, I started taking more care of myself and my body. And, and, and one thing that was really paining me was the fact that I had high cholesterol levels and every doctor I saw told me to take statins. And I knew there was a better answer. I just knew it. My instinct told me, why take medicine to drop your cholesterol when probably you can do something with food? I didn't know for sure, but my instinct told me I can do something better. So the first discussion I had was with my 
now co-founder Jonathan. Jonathan and I worked together at Yahoo, so we became friends now almost 20 years ago, and we worked very, very closely together. And we started discussing about the role of nutrition, on health, and through that conversation, I went through a process of self-discovery. One of the first things I did was to buy Tim Spector's book. Tim Spector is now our other partner, co-founder, and I bought his book called The Diet Myth, which in my opinion is one of the most fantastic books one can read around nutrition and health. And in that book, and that was back in 2016, Tim was talking about this idea of gut and gut microbes. And for me, that was a really kind of shocking moment for two reasons. The first thing is that Tim was discussing in that book how after 25 years of research on twins back then, he discovered that although twins are identical clones of each other, meaning that they have exactly the same DNA, they only share a small percentage, something around 35% of the gut microbes. And that's a reason behind why some of the twins become thinner and some of them become less thin. The second insight was that all my life I was hearing the word, the word microbe and it was connected with something bad. And here was this amazing scientist and said, hey, these are your friends. You know, these are good, good things in your body and your gut that can help you be more in control of your health. And, and that, that was an amazing insight that led me to start experimenting more with food based on some of the ideas that Tim was um, educating us in that book. And that led me to lose 15 kilos, one five, 15 kilos, and drop my cholesterol levels by 40, 40 percent within the next three to six months. And I said, wow, you know, that's amazing. Every doctor told me you need to take statins to drop your cholesterol. And here was another scientist who was educating us about the role of the gut and the gut microbes. And through food being the best medicine one can take, I was able to improve my health, in that case, dropping my cholesterol levels by 40%. So that sent me into a whole new journey, asking the question together with Jonathan, wow, many people have these problems. Some of them have around cholesterol. Some of them around menopause, for example, we hear many people saying, hey, my body's changing. I get, you know, mood swings. I get, it's more difficult for me to lose weight. Something is changing. What can I eat to be able to be in control of my health and weight during menopause? We hear people that are bloated say, oh, I'm bloated. I'm constipated. I have low energy. What can I do differently to be more in control of the symptoms? So we start seeing more and more people having exactly the same problem, which was they didn't know what to do and they were not confident around the available solutions to be able to improve the problem because their body is changing. We're not static as individuals, the body is changing. And that led us to A, fall in love with the problem and B, with the realization that we can create a far more superior solution to that problem by using data, tons of data that's becoming available about how different things impact our biology and body, AI to make sense of this data, and the best science in the world to deliver new science based on the data, we set out on this journey 
to deliver this radically more personalized health insights and advice so people can be more in control and improve the health. And we said our first focus point will be around personalized nutrition because food is the mo most important medicine that we take in the same way that I was able to do that to lower my cholesterol levels by 40%. And that 15 kilos is a significant amount of weight as well. That is a huge amount of weight. For anyone that's listening in America that uses pounds, that's probably about 35 pounds, something like that, which is huge. From my limited understanding of, of gut health, it's it's not just about weight loss, cholesterol, things like that either. It can actually massively affect your mood as well, can't it? So you can, depending on how you eat, you could stay the exact same weight, but you could just feel much better in yourself. Is that right? It can affect your mood. It will affect your hunger levels, how hungry uh, you are you know, in a day after eating certain meals. It can affect your energy levels, how alert you feel during the day. So it can affect everything. In the end, health is a combination of many different things. And a lot of that starts with gut health. And of course, the, co the connection of gut health to your metabolism and how that processes different foods. For a lot of um, entrepreneurs, you often see food as something that kind of gets in the way of your schedule and you just default to quick fixes. You get the meal deals from the, the sandwiches that are days old or however long you go for the, you go for the really quick solutions because you think that's going to get me through the next four hours and then have to deal with significant crashes uh, later on in that day or um, low mood in general. So I think this is definitely the following questions and the answers to the following questions will definitely be very important to listen to if you're an entrepreneur. And one point to build on that, Alex, I recently wrote a post about the learnings we as entrepreneurs can have from the elite performance athletes. And, and one of the things that we often forget is what performance athletes do extremely well is that take time to recover and that take time to take care of their body. And we live in a world where a bunch of the Silicon Valley ideological paradigms have been propagated of eat ramen noodles and work 24-7. And of course, you need to work extremely hard. And at the same time, the enablers to be able to do this hard work, take the right decisions, do the right things, not just things right, but the right things, is predicated on your ability to recover and take care of your body with the cornerstones of sleeping well, the right nutrition, as you just said, and of course, exercise. So I think it's something that is not celebrated enough in the world of entrepreneurship where everything is about 24-7 on, and I believe we can learn a lot from the top athletes in the world. Take the time to take care of their bodies and recover in order to be the best version of themselves when they go on the court. So could you explain to us exactly what Zoe is and how it works? Yeah, so Zoe, first of all, comes from the Greek word Zoe, which means life. So Zoe in Greek means life. And the reason we chose this name for the company is that we live in a world where today people are just alive, barely alive, ticking along. <laughs> and we want to create a world where people live life. They live life every second, every day, every week, and hopefully for longer and in a better way. So Zoe means life. 
Our first product is what we call the most scientifically advanced personalized nutrition program in the world. So it's a personalized nutrition program to help you optimize and be in control of your health. The way it works is you start with a test. The test assesses your gut by doing a stool test and secondly assesses your metabolism. In other words, how your body processes fats and carbs by wearing a glucose sensor, but also doing a small finger break blood test. After we assess your gut and metabolism, then we are able to give you personalized advice that is optimal for your body. And optimal for your body means that it can optimize your gut and your metabolism. And as a result of that, when you follow the program, then you start feeling less hunger, more energy, and you improve your health and you get a healthier weight as well. That's what the program entails. And then, and then we support you in that journey with amazing coaches that can help you make that transition from an old world of counting calories to a new world of understanding the impact of food on your body and optimizing that. We support you with tools to be able to, for any food, to understand whether it's good for you or not. We'll give you for any food a score that's personalized to you, Joe, and you, Alex. And that score is based on our ability to predict the exact impact that food has on your gut and your metabolism right now. And through these tools and support, we're able to help you go through the program and start seeing changes in your health, in your weight. And as many of our members say, Zoe has changed my life. That's what we hear day in and day out. You can go on Trustpilot and, and read the comments. People tell us, Zoe has changed my life, which as an entrepreneur is the first time I'm building a company where people tell me that. And I'm sure you would understand that it makes my day every single day when, when I read these comments. Of course. One of the things I do want to ask next is, is about how you got to the, the first iteration and you know you have this pinprick finger test and you've got, you get all of these uh, metrics from that test and you can make recommendations. That is a phenomenal product, but the amount of time, work, the amount of people that must have been, been involved to get to that version one, could you describe to us how you went from you had an idea to your first version, that first iteration? What did that take? Did you need funding? Who were the first people you went to? How did you get that off the ground? The first foundational piece was that there were three people, there was Tim, there was Jonathan and myself, were partners and were sharing the same mission, and the same values. And, and that's a foundational piece because if you don't have that, you don't have anything. So I, I, I'm very fortunate to have two amazing partners that will share exactly the same mission, exactly the same values. And as a result, when we started the journey, we all had similar problems and similar ambitions about solving this problem around nutrition. And as importantly, we all want to take a very similar approach. In our case means that because we had been relatively successful in the past, we want to do this right and do it the hard way, but we believe the right way. And what that meant was before we offer any product, we want to start with the science. We want to create the most advanced and credible science around this area because we believed that most of the products out there didn't have as a credible science as we would like to offer. So that meant that the first step was to develop the science. And to do that, we set out to build what was the largest data set in the world 
around how different individuals, including twins, respond to food. So the first two years of the company, we went into the hospital, literally into St. Thomas Hospital. That's where we were based. And we ran the two largest studies around personalized nutrition with amazing partners like King's College, like Harvard, like Mass General Hospital, like Stanford. We had a second study like that in the US as well. And the whole premise was to really study in detail how different individuals biologically respond to food. Then we were able to build with machine learning what we call our diet algorithm, which is then an algorithm that takes the inputs of this test that you mean, that you mentioned, uh, Joe, the blood test, the blood sugar sensor, and the gut stool test. It can f this test fit the algorithm, and through that algorithm, then we can predict for any individual on a personalized basis the exact impact of that food real time in their body. Now, to kickstart that process, we required funding. And the reality is that we had to go to external investors. Luckily for us, there were a bunch of people that, based on our previous experiences, were uh, confident enough to trust us in this journey to be able to, to build what we set out to build. I believe that most of the things that we set out to build and we said to our initial investors and then to our following investors, we have delivered. But of course, it starts with certain people and we're very appreciative of them, both angel investors and institutional funds taking a chance on us and trusting us with their money and support in this journey. So this started with funding, but also started with this common values and common mission and ambition to do something in what we all believed in the, is the right way even if it was the hard way, because it was the hard way, we could have launched the product straight on, on day five, and we didn't want to do that. We wanted to start with the science, because also we believe that, A, that's what we as human beings and individuals believe is the right thing to do. And also, our belief was that there will be an increasing trend of people believing in the role of science in giving these answers to people more and more in the coming years and decades. How long, roughly, did it take you to go from having a concept to having that first version where you had you know, your algorithms built, you've got the tech built, you've got a product that's ready to go. Do you, do you remember how long that took? It took us in steps somewhere between two to three years and I say in steps for two reasons. Reason number one is that our first version of our product was very clunky, very clunky, very basic, was delivered to our clinical study participants. So we always had that idea that for our first study, it had 1,000 participants, 700 twins. We said, we will deliver some results to them, and that will be the first version of our product. We will learn from that, and then we will iterate. So the first iteration took about maybe a year, a year and a half, and then for the second study, another year. And then to launch the commercial product, it took us a little bit longer, not least because we decided at the time of COVID and when the pandemic hit to launch this other app to help in a pro bono way, study what was happening around COVID in order to help people protect themselves better and as a result, in many cases, uh, save lives. So our ethics and values around doing something that mattered at a time of crisis, which was the time when the pandemic hit, led us to do that, which was a great thing, and at the same time that delayed our plans for commercializing our main personalized nutrition product. And since having that, say you're at the point now where you've got this finalized product that's ready to go, 
or what would you say are the main aims for the business now? Now that you've got a product that is, um, you know, it's really sleek, it works really well. Yeah, what, what would you describe the main goals are for the business? So the first thing I would say is that we always say is that we're still early in our product. Our product can be so much more better than 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 it is today. In fact, I say oftentimes today the product is the worst it will ever be because there's so much more things we can do for our members. We start with a very clear mission, which around we want to improve the health of millions. So anything we do in the product and in the ambition of the business, it's around that. So for example, with our personalized nutrition product, we helped at least 50,000 members improve their health. We want to increase that number. That, that's what we want to do. That's why we come to work every day, is to increase that number. If we are able to increase the number of people we improve their health, by improving certain fundamentals that are important for them to A, choose and then use this product to improve their health, we want to give them the best personalized food advice for them that can improve their health. We want to give them the best insight so they can be more motivated to do something about it. We want to make it easier and easier because the easier you make something, the more able people are to do something about it. So the more we can do that, the more we can help members say, Zoe has changed my life and improved the health. So the way we think about company is starting from the mission, which is help millions improve their health, and then work backwards to understand what should we do in the product? What should we do for our members to be able to enable them to improve their health? And of course, with the right business model, kind of that can enable us to, to also, as a commercial business, make some money and keep investing to help more people improve their health. One thing that I did want to ask is what is the, the level of advice that the platform can give based on the data that is available? The reason that I'm asking that is because I know one person personally and another person that is a good case study who is more widely known that have completely fixed what have otherwise been seen as relatively irreversible medical conditions through only diet. One of them is a friend who has something that if he eats a specific kind of food, it causes an inflammation that causes him to, to be bed bound effectively. He systematically removed certain elements of his diet and massively slowed this down. And another one that I'm aware of is Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter who has her own podcast. Uh, who has an autoimmune disorder that has, she has completely regressed or, or eliminated to a point by eating effectively a, a carnivore-based diet, like a meat-based diet only. So can Zoe give that kind of insight where you can kind of identify where you might be able to potentially reverse conditions? Or is that kind of outside of the scope of what Zoe is able to offer as a platform and I do have a follow-up question to that around what you're legally allowed to say in terms of guidance as well. Yes. So, so legally, we are a wellness product. That means that we cannot diagnose or treat diseases. So the first thing I would say is that just legally, the way we're set up. Now, first of all, we're in the beginning of the journey. And I think over time, with more data, which is the fundamental engine of our approach, data and AI and science. With more data, AI, we can deliver new science that can help even better around how you eat in relation to reversing or 
reducing a certain kind of health conditions. So, so I believe that in the future we'll be able to use the data, the AI, and the science to deliver solutions that hopefully at some point we can also go through the regulatory checks to be able to offer in the market. We're not yet at that place in terms of being able to, to prove that. What we can do though today is to offer this wellness advice that we've seen a lot of our members coming back to us and say, hey, by eating in the Zoe way, I have seen such a huge Im improvement in many of, I would say, more general health conditions. My blood pressure, my cholesterol levels, how do I feel, my mood. So a, a bunch of different general health conditions. Again, we don't claim that, but what we are doing in order to, to show that we can do that is we are running, as we speak, a what's called a randomized control trial, which is the gold standard in science to show what improvement can our advice show versus the general advice to the population. So that's what we're trying to do to, in order to be able to demonstrate how good our advice is in terms of this kind of more general health conditions. And again, with that data, then we can decide whether we will be just in this wellness area or we want to take the next step. But overall, I would say that we believe that in the future and over time, in fact, that's our vision, with more data, AI, and better and better science, we can deliver much better personalized health insights and advice, both around food in relation to health, but in the future also around how you combine food and medicine, even discovering new types of medicine or, or treatments to be able to solve certain health conditions. That's what our vision is, because if we do that, then we're able to move healthcare from something that today is just based on curing diseases to something that is focused on preventing diseases in the same way that we do for many other things in our life. However, we cannot claim that as emphatically today, both for legal reasons, but also we want to be confident about something and because our science and our credibility is one of our most important USPs or, or differentiators and something that we want to feel comfortable to, to stand behind before we promise somebody uh, that. But I do believe in general that with more data, AI, and science, the role of food around certain of the conditions that you mentioned is really instrumental and will have a big impact. We noticed, is this right, there was a 200,000-person wait list in the UK. Is that correct? In fact, it is more than that. It's, it's somewhere around <laughs> 250,000 wow. members who are on the wait list. Uh, we are working very hard to invest in order to be able to scale operationally and support these people to help them uh, improve their health. So we're doing that. But yes, it's uh, in some respects, it is a good problem to have. In other respects, it puts a lot of pressure on us in a good way because we know there are people out there that are trying to solve a problem. And part of our mission is to help them solve that problem. So that's what drives us every day to come to work, to invest more, try to scale our operations, scale our teams to be able to support these people in solving the problem because that's how we deliver the mission by solving this problem. What is the challenge there to be able to facilitate that level of scale? Is it something like you need more tests or is it the technical capabilities or you know what are the main challenges there? So the first challenge is that as part of the membership, we do provide coaching and support, which is important for members to be able to answer some of the questions, but also get 
somebody to be their Sherpa, I like to, to say, somebody on the side to be able to make this transition. Again, people make a very big transition, a transition from an old way of eating, which is predominantly focused around calorie counting into a new way where when they see a food, they don't see it as a calorie anymore. They see it around the impact it has on their body. So they make that big transition, right? So we help them with coaches to make that big transition. And of course, with other educational material and the service we provide. So because we need to scale also our coaching staff to be able to support these 250,000 and more members to get that great experience, be able to improve their health with the support, that takes time. Of course, we're investing in technology because we believe that part of continuing to deliver that great experience through coaching at scale, at a higher scale, comes through delivering better tools, not only to be more efficient in terms of how many people can support with one coach, but in fact, I would say to be able to provide an even better service, even more valuable service to the members. So we're investing a lot in technology, but I would say one of the biggest bottlenecks is our ability to scale the coaching and the coaches we have to support our members. Of course, as we grow bigger and bigger, there will be other challenges, which, as you very rightly pointed out, Joe, could include more supply chain challenges, either with different uh, materials or labs. But we're also kind of working ahead of these challenges uh, with a fantastic team that run this, and we're working ahead to be able to to prepare for them as they come. And I suppose that kind of wait list works in your favor in some ways. It's almost like seeing a club with a really long queue outside it. You know it must be popular and there's a lot of people that want to get in. Uh, so I suppose in some ways it kind of, although it's frustrating that there's limitations to how quickly you can scale, there's kind of an advantage to seeing that so many people want to be able to get onto the platform and onto the coaching platform. It's interesting you're saying that because before Zoin, my old businesses, that's probably how I would have thought about it. Now I'm thinking about the reverse because Zoe is such a mission-driven business. I'm, I'm seeing 250,000 people that are dying to solve the problem and I cannot help them do that. And so the lens has changed a little bit. I'm the first to say that in my previous businesses, it would be more about the wait list, the queuing, the, oh, amazing demand. That's fantastic for the business. I think at Zoe, I have shifted my perspective and that comes back to the values and the mission and the fact that we're really doing that to have uh, an impact in the world and help and help people improve improve their health and part of the reason is that you know i'm 47 48 soon we're getting older we want to have an impact in the world and something that when we look back you know 10 20 years from now we'll say hey you know we were able to help create in fact a healthier world are there any big defining moments that have, have stuck out for you, successes throughout your career or hard days throughout your career that have led to where you are today? So the first thing I would say is that there's two defining moments at, at Zoe, which are interesting to share because they're different. The one is probably reflective of most businesses and the other one is not. The first defining moment at Zoe was the first time a customer bought the Zoe program. And it's a defining moment because until the point somebody buys your product, you don't even know <laughs> whether this is worth anything. So it's a defining moment. Say, so, oh, okay, <laughs> there's somebody who's interested. So 
that's a defining moment in, in any business in my mind. It's the first time you ring the bell and you said, hey, somebody bought. The second defining moment um, at Zoe, and I would say probably one of the most defining moments in my career was time that we launched the COVID app. So the background there was that it was around the 20th of March of 2020. The pandemic had just hit all of us. I think everybody in the world was confused. And, and Tim Spector, my partner, had this amazing idea to launch an app to study the symptoms of COVID scientifically and, and deliver insights. And we did it. And the team was tasked to, to launch the app. They worked for five days and five nights, relentlessly, sleepless nights. And they launched the app. And a day later, that app had a million people on it. And today it's two million people. And the following 10 days, 5 million people. And that became the largest community science project of COVID around the world. It delivered amazing insights, scientific insights around the lack of smell and taste being the core symptom of COVID. That led to the UK government and many other governments in the world putting that symptom on the top of the list. Other amazing insights around the vaccines and the efficacy of the vaccines. Took that a long story short, this effort that it was an idea, it was a decision, it was five days to build something and launch in a very focused way led to a tremendous impact that I wouldn't be criticized to say that it helped provide comfort to millions and millions of people around the world around what to do in a very uncertain period and probably saved a bunch of lives. And the reason I'm saying this as a defining moment and a learning is the fact that sometimes we overthink about things and in that case, there was an idea, there was a decision, there was a constraint, do it in five days. And of course, we didn't know it would be so successful, but in the end, it became such a successful and important and impactful initiative around something so important as protecting our health during the time of the pandemic. So that was like a defining moment in showing that small steps, small decisions, sometimes you take action and, and do something and and you'll see where it takes you. Well, they talk about having impact. That's quite a, quite a big impact there. But and, and then my next question would be, what is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned throughout your career? My biggest lesson is that truth is the beginning of beautiful outcomes. The reason I say that is, first of all, it's very hard. Truth is very hard because it rests on two things. Number one, you need to be self-aware in terms of who you are. And the second one is you need to accept it. So you need to accept the truth. And I would say the first one is very hard. The second one is extremely hard in accepting the truth of who you are and where you are. Once you have these two things in place, you're at peace. And being at peace makes you happy. So once you're aware of what's happening and accept it, then you're at peace and peace makes you happy, right? Secondly, you know where you go. You know where you are. So you know where you can go. And thirdly, you can focus then in getting there by being in control and focusing on the things that you can control, not the outside things. So a lot of the determinants of being successful resides on that fundamental ability to be aware and accept the truth. And I would say that's the most difficult thing and one of the most underappreciated qualities that people often forget. Doc Rivers, who is a very famous basketball player in the US and was then a very 
successful coach with the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Clippers has this fantastic quote that says, average players want to be left alone. Good players want to be coached. Great players want the truth. So truth is the beginning of beautiful outcomes is my biggest lesson. And that kind of contributes, I suppose, in some ways to my follow-up question, which is, what are your principles for success? The first one is that success is something very personal. And for me, the way I define success is, as I said before, is the ability to become the best you're capable of being, is the ability to exceed the expectations you set of yourselves. There's a fantastic story about two basketball players in the college team of UCLA when they were coached by the legendary coach, John Wooden. And they arrived on the first year and everybody said, these two people cannot even be, not in the first team, not even in the second team, not even in the third team. So nobody believed in them. However, they worked so hard and they exceeded the expectations everybody else and themselves set on themselves. And by the third year, there were starters in the main team of the UCLA. So for me, success is about being the best you can and exceeding the expectations you set for yourself. So that's the first thing around success, right? And then I would say in terms of the principles of getting there, I would say the biggest one is around your mindset. And the mindset starts with, first of all, focusing on what you can be in control of, focusing on the things that you can be in control of, not what the world is doing to you. Forgetting what's happening around you, not just ignoring it, but actually focusing on what you can control of and do better at to be the best version of yourself. It's about focusing relentlessly in working on that in the same way Roger Federer worked every day in improving that serve, that backhand. is working on that every day and focusing on the essence of what matters. Not on your badana, but on your stroke, right? Is focusing on recovering your brain and body, as I said, like performance athletes that take time to recover, that take time to recuperate because they know that their body, and in our case, our brain, is actually the fuel that allows us to be the best version of ourselves. And I would say the last one is the most important one. The biggest determinant in helping you to have that pace of growth and be the best version of yourself is to do something that you care and you love. Because guess what? If you don't care and you don't love what you do, you'll never put the effort. Sometimes I jokingly say to, to people in the company, many people don't like the details or they come late to meetings or whatever, right? Not in our company, but in general in the world. I ask the question, would you be late to your wedding? Would you not care about the details at your wedding party? Of course, you, of course you would not be late and of course you would care about every detail being great. Why? Because you care. The why is because you care. So the more you care, the more you love what you do, the more you're obsessed about the problem that you are trying to solve, the more you can do all of these other things and be the best version of yourself and exceed your expectations of yourself. That for me is what success is and what are the key principles. Excellent. And then the final question that I have for you is more about the significant people in your life that have contributed to your career. So is there anyone close to you that you consider really influential in your journey? 
So there are, there are some fantastic people that have helped me and helped shape me all along the journey of my career. And I'm very grateful for their advice, support, trust, and mentorship. I would say the interesting thing is that the, the people that have brought the biggest impact on me and my life and how I appear as a leader are the people that brought a completely different point of view and flexed my mindset and myself and personality to complete different dimensions. These are people like my wife. We don't really talk about business at home. However, the impact that my wife has had on my business is profound. You will ask me how. How has she had that impact? The simple reason is that she has helped me just by being together, just by being kind of herself and just me, myself, just by that interaction, be a more open and more perceptive human being. It helped me be a better active listener and it helped me understand people better. So the impact certain people like that, for example, my wife has had on me, is probably far bigger in terms of the impact it has on me as a leader and on my business than what would you call more traditional business mentor advice. Another example is my nephew. He's 13 years old. Now, again, we don't talk about business, but by speaking to him, I learn way more about where the pack is going so I can skate there in the field of technology as an entrepreneur than I will learn from my very esteemed mentors who are older than me or same age and they're amazing business people. Because the world of technology, guess what? Is progressing way faster than a dinosaur like myself can even realize. I mean, Chat GDP launched like last week and it's already more than a million people using it. It's incredible. It's the fastest ever technology adoption ever. So, so I learn more from the people that can flex me more and make me more relevant in this time and age. And, and, and that's what I love to do more of. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, George. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Founders. If you liked the content in this podcast, you can get new content from a new founder every week by following us on all podcast apps. 